podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. From the Fifth Quarter Studios in Madison, Wisconsin, you're listening to Coach Unplugged. And now, your host, Steve Collins. Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome. So excited you decided to join us today. Uh, before we jump in, I'd like to give a big shout out to our two sponsors. First of all, Dr. Dish, the number one shooting machine on the market. You aren't going to find anything else like it. They are our sponsors because I own three of them and I truly believe in this machine. I truly believe in the people that work there and the product. Uh, mention Coach Unplugged and we'll give you $400 off. Just say Coach Collins sent me. Coach Unplugged sent me, and they'll take really, 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 really good care of you. Trust me. Also, go over and check out teachhoops.com for coaches who want to get better. 14-day free trial. Um, you're going to want to check it out before prices increase. You know, it's just that things happen. <laughs> Coach Collins has only got so many hours in a day. Go over and check it out. It's got the roadmap. It's got everything that you need to become a better basketball coach in one stop. You know, if you're looking for clinic videos, if you're looking how to break a 1-3-1, if you're looking how to run a zone offense, if you're looking how – to, to pick an offense if you're looking for anything it's got it there for you as i hit my microphone oh well um it you know and it also helps us pay the bills helps us keep all these podcasts um the high school hoops and five minute basketball coaching podcasts and funnel down and all these things free to you um teachhoops.com is what pays the bills and keeps the lights on so um we'd love if you went over and check that out and let's head off to the podcast what I tell my players too is like if you get that trap there on that elbow extended, there's only three places that it, we need to pay, take the three passing lanes away: the right. one down the sideline, the one in the middle, and the one back. The long one, okay. Well, if we're getting a good enough trap, they're not going to see that. Um, right. Yeah. So and it's again, always yeah. That's why you trap on the side. And again, I have them going, you know, to the ball handlers right. But if you can get them going left and, and doing this you know, which you can over the course of a game, um, you know, it's even more effective. Here's my stunts. Um, I've got a couple different ways that I have stunted. And so this first way was really helpful for me when I was in high school. Uh, I've, I coached a girls team for only one year and we won a championship doing this type of stuff. Right. Um, but I got tired of them missing practice for horseback riding lessons and ballet lessons and all that. So uh, <laughs> I was not like my neighbors. I could, I could not stick with it. It, it drove me crazy. Well, he, uh, yeah, he's, a, he's brilliant. Okay. So th- I call it mom uh, stands for just moving one man. And I just have my X three change between uh, he's on the front of the one, two, two press. He's in the middle of my two, one, two press and he's at the back of my two, two, one. And so the box portion of all three of those zone presses, their responsibilities basically stay the same. And when you're at a high school level, you know, coaching girls, middle school level, whatever, um, you know, simplicity Sometimes there's genius and simplicity. Well, and the thing is, those all look different for the coaches. They do. They do. But it, it, you can do this with very little practice time. You just teach the box their responsibilities. And so here I have the, the diagram. X3 is up there on the front. You know, it's got to be your most versatile player. You know, if you're – you probably don't want somebody 5'10", but if they can be over six feet, you know, they can effectively run, I think, all three spots of this, you know, at, at the right. high school male level. 
Yep. Um, middle of the two one two. And who do and you then, have? Who do you have trapped? Go back to the two two one two. Who traps on a two one two? The one in the three. Well, I'm going to show you that here. Okay. So I use I use a lot of my two two one to to really set up my my two one two. Okay. Uh, so it's the back of the two two one, and if you're if you want to do that group of stunts, I think just doing that for a lot of people can can really create problems for for your opponent. So, like I said at the outset, I don't think doing all of these in one season is feasible for anybody at any level. I've just put together a package of things. But you do you think a high school team could do these three stunts? Yeah, oh yeah. 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 Okay. Easily. Cuz I think this would freak I I think that would freak a lot of high school teams out. Because yeah. it's basically three – they, they think you're running three different presses. And, you know, one of the things I did when I coached high school was, you know, we would um, – so this is an odd front. So if the score on the scoreboard was odd, we would run this. And right. if it was even, we would run a 2-2-1. Two, two, and, you know, let's say if it was a zero or a five, if it got to one of those scores, we would run a 2-1-2. Two, one, two. Two. And so whatever I did that year, whatever year it was, you know, those, those kids would know. And so I just gave them an easy way to change without me having to call timeouts or yell it from the sidelines. So, you know, that's really hard to pick up on scouting when, when somebody is changing their press and why, right. you know, they're not going to know when they're looking on film, they're not going to know that you changed it according to what was on the scoreboard. So that was just one way I thought of, um i've I like also that. held up oh yeah i mean it also depends on the type of team you have for the listeners right. like, i've had teams yeah. that i've been able to do you know make misses i've been able to do left side right side but you got to be like they got to be they got to be thinking the game i yeah that, that it really depends on your team i think yeah you're you're absolutely correct on that and i've, I've laminated uh stuff and just held laminated signs like football coaches do yeah. on the sideline and you know, if you look at this right here, it's just an X. And so you just have an X there and a box if you want a 221 or, you know, something like that. And it's it's easy. Right. All right. So, so these are some of the these are some of the fun ones that are that you get to do out of a 212 alignment. Gone. If you've already been doing a 221 um, and now you have X3 coming come and be the trapper x1 and x3 are the trapper um x3 gives the now call x4 is now taking that sideline fast where in the previous in the 221 it was right. x5 taking it and so that's just a simple look as you can see in the second diagram but you know when you're not expecting when you're expecting that trap to come from x4 and it's not you know that that's that's one simple change up I like and that. Just, you know, it just messes with them. I really like this one, Flash. And with all of these, I put why why I would change to this during a game or why I would do this. So in this one, X4 does flash up. X3, if you're looking at that ball handler, that ball handler doesn't see X3 coming down the sideline. So as he's making that pass, two is going to look really, really open. And if you have that good X3 there, that 
that really messes with people when they never know who the trapper or the interceptor is going to be. Right. And yeah. so that's why I put X3 slide. It's not a normal rotation as a silent interceptor. And so if a coach, we're going to, if your opponent, we're going to try to go against this stuff in practice, you would force them to eat up a ton of practice time to be able to handle all this stuff. And so I go back to all of this is just geared on breaking the other team's practice habits. And right. You know, it's not really that difficult to learn if these are the stunts you choose. You know, Morgan Wooten, just the basic, instead of X4 guarding the inbounder, he's just playing center field and the other two guys are in denial and he's really just looking for anything over the top. Uh, why would I use that? I just use that when we're behind or when I really just want to speed up the game, yeah. even if we're, if we're not behind. If I feel like it's not at the pace that I want to play and people are really trying to slow us down, then I might put this in for a couple possessions. Um, and these are some other good ones. When I talk about remote control and getting people to, to inbound it and then do what I want to do, uh, these are the things that I do that look like one thing when they start. It always looks like a one, two, one, one. And then it gets into my two to one or two one two, and it's super easy. You know, you could teach these in one day at practice. Um, and I have all the whys here. Let's look at the read first. Read is just looks like a basic one two one one press. And once the ball goes in, you know, I usually do this at the beginning of the game if I'm not that familiar with my opponent or they haven't faced much pressing when I played them. And so I don't have a whole lot of film on what they're going to try to do against the press. I'll just throw that out there and see what they like to do, who their ball handlers are, are and all that. And once the ball's in, I may stay just stay in straight man-to-man, -man, or I might go to a normal 1-2-1-1 one, one, one zone press and just show a trap or two. And none of that is my intention. It's really just to figure out some things about their team and make them think that that's what I'm going into. Um, so that sets up stay, uh, stay, X4 doesn't, the inbound defender doesn't allow the ball to be passed back to four. Why would I use that? Either four is really good or one is really bad. And if I don't want the ball to go back to four, I'll make one, you know, I'll make one be the one that brings it up. And if, uh, you know, four is really good, same thing. I don't want him to, to constantly beat us. So none of these are things that you can stay with for an entire game, but it goes back to never let them beat you the same way twice. And if, if passing back to four uh, has toast, you know, has, has toasted you, you know, take that away and make one who's uncomfortable bringing it up according to what his coach has been telling him in practice, make him bring it up against pressure. Um, I, like I write here, I often use it in the second half or after a dead ball situation where because uh, sometimes I want to put the right people in place and so um, or I don't want to coach at halftime to be able to show them some answers against it so I tend to use it in the second half where they'll have to burn a timeout if they want to do something against it. Uh, squeeze uh, we want to make four look open and when when four looks open, X3 is coming from the blind side to steal that inbound pass. Um, like you and I were talking about, 
you know, we take away the most, the three most logical passes right there. And so now you've got. And a high three, school kids really want to pass it back and reverse right, it. They, they really do. do. And so, you know, everything, again, these are all really simple things. And it's not even a one, two, one, one trap. It, it's showing that, but, but it's not really what it is. You're, you're, you're really just stunting by showing that one, that read that one, two, one, one first. And that all that read is doing is setting up these different things um, to be able to, to mess with them a little bit. And I love having more timeouts than the other coach at the end of the game. I love seeing <laughs> him yelling at his players and, and, and that kind of stuff. Uh, these two right here, these last two stunts that are more out of a two-two-one set, um, or they, they go back into a two-two-one again. They look like they're out of a one-two-one-one, uh, but bump the inbound defender just simply comes back. He looks like he's in a one-two-one-one. It gets into one right there. And you're, you're right into a two-two-one press, and then uh, slide. Same thing, except. Your two slides back, your your inbound defender comes up and gets the ball. And really that just messes with people. They, they wonder what you're doing. Um, they tend to try to reverse it. And if I see that they're gonna keep reversing it, then I go back to that squeeze play and, and we look to take that away. And so really it's just dance steps. It's nothing that's too intricate. I've just, you know, I, I give credit in all these slides and at the end of this pre, presentation to you know none of this stuff is really original with me the only thing i think I've this is what i was going to ask you too this the drill stuff how much how much time do you spend on specific press in practice and then how much do you drill it like this uh this and can you explain go go through those drills real quick okay. just briefly explain those um cut off the sideline drill you know cutting off the sideline this leads into our, our best trapping drill. So this is one defender against two offenders. Um, as soon as he gets it in, he's got to cut that guy off. The ball goes back to the inbounder and that inbounder has to try to get up. We've got cones placed along there and okay. that inbounder has to try to get up to that cone and that defender has to leave where he just was, was at, which simulates going out of a trap. Uh, and he's got to run up and he's got to be a trapper on the other side. So he's got to get his nose up ahead of the ball. He can't buddy run. He's just got to pick out the angle on the court where that guy's going to get to. And so because we've got a cone up there uh, somewhere, you know, around this level, you know, he, this guy, he knows this guy's not going to screw up the drill and start dribbling back towards the middle of the court. That's not the idea. He's just trying to get here before the defender does. And so if we do that, they've got to do it four times. Um, you know, one, two, three, four. They've got to be able to do that. And, and you want uh, them to get in front of the dribbler, like right. to so, cut them off. Yeah, yes. this guy's job is to straddle the sideline uh, because you can step out of bounds, the offensive guy can't. And so when we add our trapper to that, they're constantly going from being the two that are in the – the guys that are in the trap uh, to the guys sprinting out of the trap and uh, coming together to bring that, that L together. And so to me, it's the best trapping drill I do. You know, it, it's tiring, but the guys really like it because I make it competitive, uh, you know, blue against white. And, um, you know, we score it at the end 
And so it'll be all blue going against all white for 10 possessions. And then we'll, we'll flip it around. And, um, you know, they really take pride in it. And it teaches them to communicate because the two trappers basically are, are like two people trying to herd a, a sheep. Right. And, and <laughs> right. so you can't do that if you're silent out in a huge field somewhere. If two, if two cowboys were trying to herd sheep, they would, they would communicate. They would actually bring their arms together and kind of scoot that guy towards the sideline. And so it really builds the, the now call, the L trap, uh, shutting the door. The last guy, you know, when the first guy stops forward progress. The other guy comes and he slams the door shut. And so it, it really works on doing that. Uh, it's way better than, you know, if you look at it, it looks like the old fashioned zigzag drill, but it's way better than the zigzag drill. I love that. Uh, UConn, you know, I just break down. Uh, I start with the two positions. And so this is how we rotated this year. And so I just break down the responsibilities, you know, when to stunt, how to fake, where we want to trap right there across half court. I break down all of that. And then I just, I have, I have X1, take X4's position. X4 goes off the court. And everybody that comes in has to play all the positions as I'm teaching it, even if I, I don't end up doing it throughout the year. As I'm putting it in, I want them to know what everybody's supposed to do because you never know if they're going to have to do it in a game. Right. And so then we built that up with a third man. You know, if you, if you choose this as your rotation, that five man's got to take away the sideline pass. And so – you know, my rotation would be one takes four spot, four takes five spot, five steps off the court. And, you know, again, you see in my notes there, they learn when to say now, uh, how to take it away. All the communication that we as coaches say is most important. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, t I'm telling them what to say and when to say it, what they're looking at to know when to make that call. Right. Don't assume they can do it. That's what I tell the young coaches. Right. If you don't tell them what to do, don't assume any. It's like – it's like, why aren't they leading? Well, it's because they don't know how to lead. You have to teach them how to lead. Like, it's the same thing with talking. And so these are some of the things that we're doing in that first 20 minutes where I say it's player-led. You know, once they know how to do it, then we do all of this 25% speed, and we over-communicate. I always tell them to say what you see. And so if they're all saying what they see, you know, five on this screen right here, he's seeing four and one. He's going to have the best view to say what he sees. And so those people in the back should really over-communicate. And if you do it slow, it'll help them when it's fast. But you can't, you can't have them do it when you're going full speed. If they've never communicated well before, they can't do it when they're going full speed. They're trying to remember too much. So I think you have to teach it slow and then – I think that actually helps them get it quicker when you teach it slow at first. Um, so you see when we have a four-man rotation, how we go through that. Um, Wolf, you know, I do this from all different angles on the court. I show this in the middle, but I start the two defenders at the blocks, uh, the offensive guy at the free throw line, uh, and I have him dribble on whatever hand he dribbles with. I have him stay with that hand because I feel like that's more game-like. He can't keep switching back and forth. 
between his right and left hand. That's not the way it would happen in a game against the press. And so, right. you know, I'm teaching those defenders that they're never beat um, and uh, how to flip up with their inside hand, their shoulder that's closest to the defender, how to flip up instead of swipe down to try to tap that away. And really, yeah. I would say we get probably more steals this way by somebody thinking that they beat us probably than, than almost any other way. No, I think it's a great thing too that, I mean, yeah. we practice the coming from behind thing because it's going to happen if you're pressing, um, but it's that swipe up that they need practice. I mean, they don't practice. I, I don't know. They just don't do that. Nat- a lot of them don't do it naturally. There's a few that always do, but no, you can't hold them to it or you can't yell at them for fouling. If you've never showed them the right way to do it without right. fouling. Right. And so, you know, really, that tends to happen with a trap right up here or a trap over here. And so we break out of that a lot and uh, have them. And, you know, we I don't have it shown here, but we actually build up. You know, I have an offensive guy and a defensive guy here. We build up to five on five out of this and have, you know, different guys come out of the – off of the sidelines to make it more realistic. And, you know, you can use your imagination for how you would do that. But – if he gets past you, you know, he is going to face another defender pretty soon. And so it's really teaching offensive decision-making as well as defensive decision-making. And I think, you know, when practice time is limited, you want your drills to cover as many things as possible. Um, implementation ideas. Don't try to do all of these or even half of these. Yeah. Uh, Use the offseason to plan ahead. Like I said, you probably know your opponents or you should know your opponents well enough to know what top three or four things will work best, will give you the most uh, return on your investment. If you think of it like a debit card, what is going to give you the most value for the for the amount of money that you spend? Right. Uh, money being time. And so uh, then number three, script different what ifs every day. Um, if as with offense, you know, we want to get to the point by the end of the year where we're not teaching more plays. We're just teaching them how to play. You want to do the same thing from day one with your defense. And, you know, in football, linemen learn how to pressure effectively. Safeties learn how to make reads. And, you know, I think in this scenario, your linemen are your trappers and your safeties are your interceptors. And I think you know, if football coaches can do it, I think we can do it with far yeah. few players. I, I think we can, too. <laughs> <laughs> um, going into a game, I think it's a good idea uh, to script the first three possessions and just change your look each time. And so – Do you do that on offense and defense? I try to. I don't – I'm not going to say that I always do it, but I do it a lot. And, okay. Um, again, if you're going to do this – you have to practice it a lot. Yeah. But it does help you know what will be the most effective. And like I put here, you, you want to play chess, not checkers. You want to be a couple moves ahead. And so, especially the second time that you play somebody in a season, you know, you can really get to the point where you're using one of these actions to set up another. And so, maybe you're using that read to set up the fact that you're going to go back and squeeze or something like that. Um, number number two, I show you what I talked about there. Odd and evens, yeah. Yeah, how I how I've done it. Um, always use one alignment after a free throw, uh, and so we're always in a two to one, and we may be in just a regular two to one, or we may change a stunt. But 
a free throw gives you an incredible opportunity to put people where you want them. And it really kind of, I started doing this just because I had a really bad free throw team and I didn't want it to hurt us. And so we were always, we ended up doing really, really well, despite the fact that we didn't shoot the free throw very well. Um, use a different alignment or stunt on other dead ball situations. And then like we talked about, if you can get to the point where you're pressing off of misses that you really- If you can press off misses, you're at a whole different level, yes. Uh, so John Kimball's where I got a lot of my 212 stuff. We talked about Forrest Larson. Uh, Vance Down was Harrison Barnes, uh, coach there in Iowa. Um, Show Walter there in Iowa, you know, really good high school coach. Shaka Smart, he was here at Clemson. And then when I was in the D.C. area, he was at VCU. So I've got yeah, a lot. He's got of, a lot of great drill stuff, too, I've for, got for the Havoc a, stuff. ton of information from him. Andy Landers, he's now retired, but he was the women's coach there at Georgia and, and coached some really good players. Bob Huggins' box theory is, you know, you want to get the ball to a to the side of the court uh, between the free throw lane and the sideline. And once you have it in that box, you want to you want to shrink that box till you get all the way to the corner. And so, you know, we used to deny passes to the wing, and I don't deny passes to the wing. I I want I want you, the that's where we want it because the angles are better at that point to be honest right. with you to trap. Yeah. And so that's why I want, no matter what we're doing, I want the ball to cross half court on the outer third because that puts them in that box from the get-go. And the quicker I have them in that box, the better everybody on my defense can be. And, again, if if everybody on my team is on that half of the court, uh, then it's going to look really, really crowded, and they're going to try to pass around it or pass over it, and that's what you want. You don't want them to be able to pass through it. So – and then Rick Patino did a black-white press a long time ago when he was at Providence, and he did some of it at Kentucky. But it was, you know, run and trap on the sidelines. And then if the ball went middle, it was run and jump in the middle. And, you know, I haven't seen anybody do that recently, but you know, I've done that a little bit with a run and jump. And that those are these are all people that I've gotten ideas from, and I've kind of combined them into one package and taking what fits me and what I can do easily so um, again I, I want to give credit where credit's due and realize that I'm not what's a, the what's but what's the hardest thing to teach on this uh, initially you know if they haven't been pressing very long it is how to make those reads and games and you know get into that see it fix it see it fix it uh, situation and if you're pressing you're always you're going to quickly see a problem and then you're going to need to fix it and it can't be well coach that wasn't my responsibility when you're pressing like I said you're going to keep going from one job to another really really quickly right um, let's go back hey put your screen back up with your um, things on I didn't mean to cl- close that out um, with your context stuff too I just oh, okay. got questions that we can talk to while that screens up um, okay so, um, how much of your practice time do you use to do this? Um, you know, initially, at the go to a high school. Go to a high school yeah. coach. Don't, not you with your players. When yeah. you were coaching high school, and you were pressing, how much time did you have to spend in practice on this? Early, mid, late. So early, I would spend 
I would I would probably spend 75% of practice and you know again it was what I thought would bring me the most the, the best return for my money and okay. you know especially being in Atlanta where everybody a lot of people are playing football and when they're coming to basketball they're not they're not ready to face presses and that kind of stuff you know I really looked at at what was going on and I really started doing that it helped my my guys be able to face pressure and make make reads really a lot quicker and they ended up doing a lot of uh, our turnovers in the half court ended up being a lot less a lot sooner because they were facing a lot of pressure every day and so you get towards Thanksgiving you have your whole team and all of that you know I start to do a little bit less you know at, at Christmas uh, I'm doing even less in fact at Christmas I'm 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 trying to simplify you know, you're into league play by then. A lot of people have you scouted. You've got enough film to know uh, what has really worked for you and what you need to scrap. And if something hasn't worked by Christmas, then it's not, in my mind, it's not going to work. Right. Stop trying to force it. Just take whatever you're doing well and just get better at what you're doing well. And so by the very fact that you you scrap some stuff, I think simplification, is, you know, really makes you simple. Uh, sophisticated actually and really difficult if you're just really good at a few things and I think from Christmas on you just want to be really good at a few things and just do those things well so I, I agree I agree um and how did you land on this kind of press uh you know I was here here locally with Oliver Purnell and, and shock on all those guys and I really started liking that philosophy um, then I moved to D.C. Shaka came and he was at VCU. So I was around his practices, really picked up a lot on that. And, you know, then in Atlanta, I was I was near Andy Landers and picked up a lot of stuff from him. So, uh, you know, I told you that I spent some time in, in Wisconsin and right. I didn't I never did know Forrest Larson, but I did uh, call him and Eddie Andrus. This was before we even had Internet. And right. I, I bugged those guys and they gave me diagrams and stuff like that. They're and, great guys. Um, did you, um, what made you, what made you fall into that freak defense where you, after the third, you went to man, what, what, um, what made you land on that? I love really, that. I've done that in just in college, really simply because of the shot clock. And you know, if it, if it, it makes the when you change yeah. like that, it makes a team adjust and there's five seconds to just figure out what you're doing. Right. And, you know, even at the college level, there's so many people that just want to run a system and it's all part of the philosophy of breaking your opponent's practice habits. And, you know, nobody is going against this kind of stuff every day. There, there's just no way that everything that we just talked about a team <laughs> is working against. And so there might be one thing that they're prepared for and that's fine, but you've got something else that you've been working on and now they've got to do that. And, so maybe you pulled off your full court press and some of those stunts, but now you're running your freak defense and there's no, there's really no offense that works against it. You just, you just have to have better players. Right. And, 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 and do you think there is an offense? You talked about like a hybrid dribble drive. Do you think there's an offense that correlates well with the two, two, one, like is complements it like peanut butter and jelly kind of thing. Yeah, I, you might be familiar with uh, somebody would probably have to be a big hoop head to be familiar with 
but Doug Novak is a coach in Minnesota uh, at Bethel, a D3 coach, but he used to be at Tulane and used to be at the Citadel. Uh, he's got a website, coachdugnovak.com, that's got a ton of free stuff, and he's somebody that I've spent a lot of time with, and I think Coach Lenny Acuff that just took over at Lipscomb, uh, he was at a D2 school at uh, University of Alabama, Huntsville. You know, those aren't two famous guys, but I guarantee you that you can learn more from those guys about offense than, than probably anyone at, at any level. And, you know, I, I bug those guys a lot, and they, they both have a two-guard front that looks like you're in a dribble drive or a Princeton set. But, you know, they're not spending as much time teaching the drop zone and all those things that it takes to get into a dribble drive. You know, it could take a year or two for your guys to learn all that stuff. And they've, they've really simplified it. And so when you're coming down on offense, you know, what you're constantly looking for is for the ball handler to have double gaps to be able to penetrate through. And that is a dribble drive phrase. Um, but they've really worked on kind of the next level of dribble drive, which is taking a lot of the dribble out of it and really moving the ball faster with passes. And so – So does it, have a, read and re, does it have read and react principles in it then? Yeah, it, it does. If, if you're familiar with the read and react, you know, some of, the, some of the rotation principles like a dribble at, you know, causes everybody to move clockwise right. and things like that. And so you're constantly taking away the help defender. And so, you know, again, that's something that just lets your players play. It's, it's letting them play out of concepts. You know, we do have set plays that we, that we come out of, but, you know, a lot of people do set plays and then they just get into their reactionary stuff. We kind of do the opposite. We do our reactionary stuff and then maybe at the end of the clock uh, we do a set play, but, um, you know, Almost everybody at our level at the end of the clock likes to do something off of a pick and roll. And, <laughs> and we're, we're, we're trying to keep the ball moving so fast, we never even get to that. I, I'm one of the few people I know that doesn't use a lot of on-ball screening, and I just don't like to bring that other defender to the I don't. I, I definitely don't at the high school level. I, that, yeah. That's one of the reasons I don't do it is I just don't like bringing that defender at him. You know, right. it's like um, – if my philosophy is double gaps, then I'm totally screwing up my double gaps by bringing somebody up to the ball like that. So right. I don't want to confuse my players. I don't want to confuse myself. I'm not that bright. So I just want to keep <laughs> and do you, it simple. And do you – and do you – does does Coach Novak call that something or does he just – No. I mean, uh, you know, he just talks about teaching concepts. And so what he's done is uh, – really all of their skill work and everything that they do in practice is their offense. And so I know that's kind of hard to explain. Yeah. Um, and you kind of need to see it, but you know, you can go on his website and you can see the videos and then he's got PDF diagrams, fast, you know, fast model diagrams of, of all his stuff. And you can kind of see what I mean, but they just, they build up from one-on-one -on -one to four on four to five on five every day. And um, it's just a part of everything is teaching footwork and teaching finishes and that kind of stuff. And they spend very little time actually teaching slides or, or anything like that, that we would consider offense. They just teach you 
basically how to play off of whoever has the ball. So let's say, let's say, I, let's say he was sitting where you are, and I said, hey, explain your offense. What would he say to me? <laughs> um, he would say it's a, it's a kind of what I just said, uh, the next version of the dribble drive. You okay. know, we all say that the pass moves quicker than the dribble, but then you know what high school kids, especially if they hear dribble drive, they're going to want to dribble. And so, you know, basically we, we have that one second philosophy. He has that one second philosophy where when you catch it, you're either going to pass it or you're going to shoot it. You know, he doesn't want you to, he wants dribbling to really be your last option. And if you think about that and how quickly the ball moves with that, it takes care of, you know, there's always one player where yeah, the, that's what we, we, the, the reason I'm asking the question is it sounds like kind of what we ran this year. Because it was partially read and react, but we also had, like, if they're up on you, the dribble and then the rotations. Because um, you got to be able to attack on that, on that, on that dribble. I don't like that. I don't like the low block on the opposite end on the read and react. Yeah. Or the dribble drive. I mean, um, it just. I, I don't think the spacing of that works anymore with the game. The way the games change, I think you got to almost have all five out um, to leave space. So that's and so, interesting. And so what what we do, what he does is you have the person in that space, but as the action starts to happen, then they it ends up being five out, but it doesn't look like five out. And so when you teach it that way, anybody can be in that base that dunker spot that we talked right. about. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. Hey everybody, hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe, like. Jump up and down, review, do whatever you got to do. Um, also, go over and check out teachhoops.com for coaches who want to get better. Have a great. Sports Social Podcast Network.